0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's episode is sponsored by Six Car Pub and Brewery, which has led the way in much of the excitement along Polk Street over the past year. It's Amarillo's first and only downtown brewery and it's one of the best places to unwind after a day at work. You can learn more at sixcarpub.com. And it just so happens that Six Car is one of the featured local breweries, along with Pondacetta, Longwood and & Spoon, and The Big Texan, being showcased at the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest this Saturday, August 3rd, at Starlight Ranch. This podcast is the event's host, so I want you to come. Tickets are $30. They're available at bit.ly slash Amarillo Beer Fest. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Amarillo Beer Fest. You can learn more about the event in a few minutes. Just stay tuned. I hope to see you there. Today's guest is Annette Carlisle. Now, we're on a little bit of an AC focus lately with this episode and the one a couple weeks ago featuring Russell Lowry-Hart. Now, Annette is a former AISD board member, and she's a current member of the AC Board of Regents. But she's also one of those local people who just have layer upon layer of interesting identifiers. She's a zoologist. She has a background in evolutionary biology. She's a certified poverty coach. She was the founder and director of Panhandle 2020, which brought significant change to the area over the past decade and more. She has fascinating things to say about the needs of this area and how Amarillo is being proactive in dealing with them. So I think you'll enjoy this conversation a lot. Here's Annette Carlisle. Annette Carlisle, welcome to the hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I know that you've, you've got your hands stirring a lot of different pots in the city, which is one reason I wanted to talk to you. But before we get into all that stuff, I just wanted to start with you and your relationship to Amarillo. So how did you get here in the first place?
1: I grew up in Borger, Texas, about an hour away from here, and I loved it. And I loved going out and hiking and being part of nature and uh, just exploring the wilderness around here. So I've always loved the semi-arid areas. And, the you know, I went to Big Bend last year, and I was like, oh, desert. I love it, you know. So uh, I love the, the area. I went off to college, went off to graduate school, Uh, My husband I actually met in high school, but we didn't start dating until Texas Tech, Tyler Carlisle. And that was in Borger? And that was in Borger that we met. And then we started dating, and then we ended up getting married after he went to medical school. And I had finished my master's, and I went to my PhD work. And my background is science. And uh, I'm an evolutionary biologist and uh, research scientist, molecular geneticist, all those things. And we ended up back in Amarillo because my husband got a pretty good job offer as an infectious disease doctor here. My brother was here as a doctor and wanted us to come visit. And we did. And we kind of decided this was a good place for us.
0: I I, want to ask about your education because a lot of people that know you know you from your various nonprofit activity and um, Amarillo College and things like that. They may not know the evolutionary biology part uh, or the science part. So wh- why did you end up making that shift in your focus?
1: Well, we moved here in 1988. We had one son, and now we you know, ended up having three sons, uh, wonderful young adults now. And it got me very involved in the education system because our oldest started kindergarten the fall we moved here. So I got involved, and I was a stay-at-home mom, had the time to do that, and it just opened my eyes to the community and some of the challenges facing the community. And I'm a problem solver, so I wanted to figure out how we could fix them. And then, so I got involved in the PTA at Bivens Elementary, and we, uh, you know, I could just see that for my kids to be successful, the other kids needed to be successful, and you know, to build a, you know, raise all boats kind of approach, we needed to make sure all the schools were successful. So I ended up running for school board at Emerald ISD in, I'm sorry, in 1996. So I served 19 years on there. And so visiting all our different schools was really eye-opening to me. And to see the challenges that so many of our families faced and, of course, I'm a data person, so looking at the trends, and you're a research scientist, you don't quit researching. Part of my training is population data and trends. So I, it didn't take a scientist, though, to look and see that our community was changing. So I tried to figure out how best to approach it. And as a volunteer in lots of nonprofits, as you pointed out, I could see that nobody was really talking to the other nonprofits, they didn't know what was going on, so we were siloed in our, you know, education. Our K twelve was siloed. Our higher ed systems were siloed. Our nonprofits were siloed. They didn't even know what some of the other nonprofits were doing. Some of them, okay. So I pulled together a group of willing uh, leaders in the community to say, "We've got some challenges. How can we?" work together in a cross-sector effort to figure out what the biggest challenges are and how we can address them. You know, looking at the root causes, you know, sure you need to meet the basic needs and I'm all about that, but if you aren't uh, addressing the underlying root causes to help move people uh, out of challenging situations, then it's really kind of putting a band-aid on. So you've got to do both and so we we launched uh, in 2003. We brought in our then state demographer, Dr. Steve Murdoch, and he came, and we had a big community uh, meeting and some, you know, just support from folks around the community and some institutions, and the Emerald Area Foundation and and others, and all the educational entities, and the PRPC, Panel Regional Planning Commission, and some just businesses that. Uh, Became our founders for Panhandle 2020, what would later become Panhandle 2020. We launched uh, Panhandle 2020 in fall of 2003 with our demographer who who predicted his projections and trends were that we were becoming less educated and poor. So we looked at each other and said, is this really the community we want to live in and raise our children in? And if not, what can we do to really change those directions. Um, some of those we've been successful in in moving the needle on. Some others are still a challenge.
0: What were some of those specific things that that you, you identified that you know this is a place where we can start to push in this direction and see some progress?
1: In the 2000 census, which is what Dr. Murdoch was looking at at the time, you In Potter County, where I live, uh, one in 10 residents lived in, in poverty, below poverty level. In 2010 census, it was one in four. Wow. When I went on the school board, our free and reduced rate of, of students was about 50%, give or take. And by 10 years later, it was about where we are now, about 68%. And it's kind of stabilized there. But that means a lot of people in our community are struggling. Mm -hmm. And um, so we really looked at the issue first of educational attainment. Because if you aren't educated, you can't get a good job. And our levels were low. Texas was last in the number of adults with a high school diploma. We were 51st out of 50 states in Washington, D.C., and people didn't believe it. But, again, I don't lie about data. So, uh, you know, it's like, okay, what can we do in our region to address that? Uh, because we we started with the question, who is planning for the future of Texas? And when nobody could really answer that, the next question was, whose job is it? Well, it's everybody's and nobody's. We want to think it's the state leadership, but really that's not the way the system's designed. It's designed to figure out how to get reelected. Yeah. Now, some of our state leadership does indeed plan for the future of Texas very well, uh, but they're faced with some challenges to move the needle there. So we decided if it's, if nobody else was doing it, it was our job to, to plan for our own regional future. And we, over time, have done a number of things. We've really focused, though, on two things, the educational attainment issue, how do we build systems that align all the different educational institutions and our community around building uh, better access to and better success for students in, in Amarillo and the region. The other thing we saw then a few years later was If the biggest challenge to educational attainment was poverty, and it was, how did we address that? So we put some things in place to really address that. And those have grown into a lot of different things going on in our community. One thing I'd like to ask, you know,
0: you you talk about education and Texas being so far behind. Is is Amarillo... is it different in any way from other parts of Texas? I mean are are the problems that we have different from say like San Angelo has or Waco or or other cities that are maybe this size are our problems
1: unique in any way? Our problems aren't unique. I'm I do a lot of traveling around the state and one of the things I'm involved in is I'm on the HEB Excellence in Education Awards team for school boards. So I get to travel all over the state do extensive interviews of districts and communities, and it's really eye-opening to see the differences across the state. Lots of places have challenges, some more than others. I would say we are isolated. We have wonderful people who will step up and work on the problems, but we have some significant challenges here. You can look at the valley. Where it's a very different population, and when you have a very homogeneous population, sometimes it's easier to move the needle than when you've got thirty forty you know languages in your district. And again, I just say let's look at the facts and figure out what we can do about them.
0: Are some of those other places taking the steps? like like we're taking the steps you know to try to prepare for that, or is that, is that something that's unique here? I mean, are there Are there the equivalents of Panhandle 2020 in some other places in the state?
1: There are some. uh, That's called collective impact approach. And uh, there are some that have begun since we started. In Austin, there's the E3 Alliance, but they work mostly inside the districts, pulling the districts along. But I always felt as a school board member, that was my job as a board member, not as a community person. So how did we, you know, how did we pull the community together. And and I think what we've got here is pretty unique. And, you know, or organizations like Amarillo College have really embraced the work that we started. And so, you know, at Amarillo College, we won two national awards this year uh, based on our poverty reduction efforts that, you know, a lot of that grew out of the work of Panhandle 2020. So, and you know, Dr. Russell Larry Hart, who's the president there, has been involved with the work since the beginning. So it's it's really been an evolution of a great team of folks, really dedicated and, and knowledgeable about the scope of the issue.
0: So, before we talk about some of the solutions and the strategies that are involved with that, I'd, I'd like to give listeners sort of an idea of what what it's like for someone locally in Amarillo to live in poverty. I mean, you talked about the poverty line. What What is that line in terms of numbers? Is it is it below like a certain income level for a family of four?
1: Family of four uh, is 25900 Annual income, 100% poverty level. But it really takes about twice that to get by and if you look at the family budget estimator uh, on the center for public policy priorities website and i'm on that board as well you can really kind of look at the breakdowns and it'll take out whether or not they get health insurance from their work but it's really at least about double that and that's really just getting by so And we, in Potter County, is different than Randall County, but, and then the average of Texas is somewhere kind of in between there, as is Amarillo. But if you look at our median income, our, you know, per capita income, uh, we are significantly lower than the state of Texas. And just meeting basic needs on, on that level of income is very challenging and there's different kinds of poverty, so it depends on the family's background. But if you have a, you know, a family of generational poverty, their students, their children who become our students, are exposed to very different things than my kids were. And, and my passion is that all kids deserve the same opportunity that my kids had. So what can we build in our system to, to address that? So they, you know, they may not have the exposure to the expectation of going to college. right. They may not have the exposure to um, just you know, language and the number of words they're exposed to to home where books are all over the place and being read to them all the time, uh, versus, um, you know, basically a house with no literature, or a family where, you know, maybe a single mom or two parents, but they're working multiple jobs and don't have the time and energy to spend with their kids because they're struggling to survive. Uh, these are folks who work, and they work hard, but they work without the understanding or the ability in their jobs to advance. So so
0: you might get a job at McDonald's when you're 18 and without really thinking beyond that. And like for a lot of people, that's, that's a starter job. But for those in poverty, that might be... What they saw that mom and dad had. I mean, they had several jobs like that, and that's that's what they aspire to. But you, you you can't really raise
1: a family of four on a minimum wage job, right? And there's nothing wrong with those jobs. Yeah, a living wage here is about twenty bucks yeah. an hour. So um, not many places for low skilled individuals pay that level. So if any,
0: so I know that you. I guess you well, you graduated from the AISD scoreboard, and now you're on the Emerald College Board of Regents. So let's talk a little bit, I, I know you mentioned it briefly about some of the ways that Emerald College has been proactive in trying to address a lot of those issues. Not just, you know, helping students to reach outside of what they've known, but actually taking students who have grown up in that kind of poverty and giving opportunities to them.
1: The first thing they did was look at the students they really had, and that was an eye-opener because we may not really want to believe the challenges that some of our students and families face. Uh, When we kicked off the poverty work with Panhandle 2020, we did bus rides to go around our neighborhoods and look at our neighbors and to educate ourselves about the reality in the different neighborhoods. As a school board member, I would travel all these neighborhoods, but I know that most people who live in southwest Amarillo don't. So it's really just an eye-opener and exposure. And after that, we brought in a, a, a professional um, named Dr. Donna Beagle. And she grew up in generational poverty. Mm-hmm. Through education, she has worked herself out, and she has become you know passionate about helping educate folks to become poverty-informed, systems to become poverty-informed, to help build a systematic approach uh, like we have done in Amarillo uh, to address those issues. And that's one of the things Amarillo College did in the early days before I was on the board. We brought in Dr. Beagle in 2020 and AC did a staff training for all of the AC employees after that, the AC employees themselves started a food bank. And so those are ongoing now. We have hired, we have multiple social workers at Amarillo College. We never used to have those. Um, we have, uh, you know, food pantries, clothing closets, and uh, emergency aid for our students. And uh, we really are leaders in doing that, at, you know, across the nation. I know that we,
0: we, we recently passed, you know, an election cycle, last spring, where a bond issue for AC was on the ballot and that passed. So I'd like to hear just a little bit about what, like, what that means for the college.
1: That means a number of things. It means basically some physical improvement to our campus. We're 90 years old and a lot of our buildings just are in need of repair. And we very much appreciate the community support in passing that bond. Let me say that. And but it's very necessary, and the board worked really hard to narrow it down. We had done a master planning process for eight months prior to the bond election, and we had brought in lots of stakeholders, lots of community people to work with our experts to determine what the real needs were. Well, our real needs were about 158 million, uh, so we narrowed it down to 89 million, and which is a lot of money, but. It costs a lot to do these things, and we're going to be expanding our parking, which is needed on the, at least at the Washington Street campus. We're going to uh, improve our HVAC system uh, in some places, but also become ADA compliant to meet the needs of, of folks who have accessibility issues uh, and also to meet the law. And we're going to expand our nursing program. We're going to build a new uh, first responders training facility out at uh, our east campus, which was pretty in not great shape. So it needed to be refurbished. So that's really our only real new building. Uh, The rest of it is just renovations. Another thing we'll be doing is renovating our downtown campus and to become uh, an innovation hub for our community. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, because the future of our community is, is shifting, and we really need to be proactive in in moving our our workforce, our training, and our businesses into you know more higher technology uh, coding. I'm even taking the Apple app development courses at AC, and just really trying to build an awareness of this is a global economy now. You can live in Amarillo, Texas, and you can do cutting edge technology here that you can, you know, get work from around the world on. Right. So I'm excited about that really kind of shifting our mindset into, okay, we've done this. Maybe we need to move more into, you know, more STEM with our, our uh, new greenhouse that we've opened uh, more technology, more data driven things, and uh, really just focus on what the future could be, not, just look at it and say, okay, this is what we've always done.
0: Yeah, I'd like to ask you about the future because I, I know that, um you know, when, when you spend a lot of time looking at these challenges and the roadblocks and the ways that we need to make some improvements, like how we educate kids in the workforce and those sorts of things, based on some of the steps that are slowly being put in place. When, when you think about Amarillo 10 years or 15 years from now, do you have a sense of where you want us to be?
1: I mean, maybe not where we actually will be, but do you, do you have like a goal in mind? I think Amarillo has a lot of potential, and I think Amarillo College is key to that, to grow into a very innovative community, really focus on thinking outside the box and trying to come up with solutions to the challenges we have here, to the challenges that our business have in transforming from the business they used to be to the business they need to be instead of just going out of business. Right. And uh, we want to be key in that uh, developing entrepreneurship, supporting that kind of work. You know, I mean, I know WT does wonderful work on that at their enterprise center, but we all work together. And I think it's so important that we work with both WT, AISD and Canyon ISD and develop, you know, kind of a pathway for our students that maybe didn't exist before. I, I think for a lot of students, that
0: pathway, like like you mentioned, looks like Amarillo College. And the Thrive program is giving more opportunity there, which, you know, I love. I'm, I'm curious, though, since you spent so much time on the school board with AISD, and now you're with Amarillo College, could you talk a little bit about just the role that AC plays within this community? Um, be, Because, you know, for a lot of people, it's a junior college and it may feel smaller than WT because it's two years instead of four years but the impact it has on the city I think is just as big as any four-year university would have
1: well WT is a great partner but the economic impact of AC is bigger than WT and Texas Tech combined. is it really mm-hmm. but we work with you know we want we have to we all and that's part of being in the panhandle and I think. All you know, us pioneers up here. You know, we figure we got to work together because somebody's got to build the sod house so we can sleep in it. You know, right? So it's it, and it's looking at things differently. Like, Emerald College now is mostly eight week courses, mm-hmm. which really meets the needs of our students better. Um, most of our students are working uh, at least one job, sometimes two, and some of them are raising children too, and they're older and they they really just don't have time to take five courses for 16 weeks. Well, if we can split those up and do two and two, they're full-time students right. in a semester. And that qualifies them for more financial aid. Okay. It makes it easier for them to focus on two or three courses at a time instead of five. And the success rates have really gone up.
0: I want to step back a little bit and think back to when you were growing up in Borger. Did you have like a perspective on Amarillo? I mean was it the kind of place that you visited on weekends or did it feel like the big city for a kid in a small panhandle town?
1: It did and I didn't like it. Really? You didn't? No, um I don't know why, but you know, my mom and I would come over sometimes my dad was ill in nursing homes and the VA here, um, and so we would come over and visit and all, and we would shop a little bit. But honestly, I never thought I'd end up back here, but it's a wonderful place, and I'm glad I did because it's a great place to raise kids, and it's a neat place to, to live.
0: Did you ever, like, given your educational background in biology, did you ever think, okay, at, at some point I'm going to go back and I'm going I'm to get back to that sort of stuff? Or did you finally accept that? Okay, well, my my new research is here in demographics and poverty and and all of that.
1: Sure, and I, you know, I I'm an all but dissertation PhD okay, out of the so. University of Houston. So I, we, from there, we moved to East Tennessee for a year and then to New Orleans. And I always thought, well, I'll finish my PhD, but if I'd come back here with that, I would have felt obligated to use it instead of just using my knowledge and my passion. And uh, so as much as I push educational attainment, I'm okay that I didn't quite finish that one. But I've I found such a reward in my life in doing the work I do because I really think we can impact so many more people. And that was part of the goal of 2020 is to work through the existing institutions. How can we build better partnerships and relationships, maybe shift some of the things they're doing, and help move more families through education and into success through, I mean, I can only impact so many people on a personal level, but if you work through the system, you can impact a whole lot more. One of the
0: things that's always been real striking to me when I, I've looked at the list of the people and institutions that have been involved in Panhandle 2020 is, it's just how deep and how broad that list of businesses and organizations is. I mean, what can you tell me about like the the larger business community or the philanthropic community, the, the the people here and the willingness to like take on these really big challenges and and try to fix them.
1: It was a little bit tough at first because it wasn't the way you did things. Okay. You had a program or two, and for a year or two, and you know you would. Get funding for that, and then you'd measure it, and then you'd move on to something else. And if you're talking long term systemic change, that's not the way you build success. And it's little by little. It's just, you know, it's, it's a friend of mine said, it's not rocket science, it's harder than rocket science. Yeah. And in some ways, it is because, you know, it, when you talk about building capacity, people's eyes glaze over. But that's really what we're doing is building systemic, sustainable capacity across the community, across and within the organizations, and really trying to shift the mindset of how people look at the challenges.
0: Do you think that you've been successful in in shifting those
1: mindsets when you look back on it now? Oh, sure. Some of them. And it's like, uh, another friend said, you're changing the way we do things in Amarillo. And I really think for some folks that's been true. I mean, just look at Amarillo College. Our One of our values is yes. Instead of when somebody comes to you and as a student with a challenge or a problem, you just say, no, sorry, we can't do anything about that. We have to respond with yes. Mm-hmm. And our staff is all in on that, and they really try to figure out a way to yes. And so it's really shifted a mindset. And because of all the the state and national presentations we all do, Amarillo College is a leader in shifting mindsets across the U.S. And if you just follow my Twitter feed or (laughs) even some of my Facebook stuff, but more on Twitter, you see that. But it's it's all interconnected. Um, I'm also on the Hope Center Board out of Philadelphia for Real College. Uh, which is focused on food and housing insecure college students. And there's a huge movement around that. But they did a case study on Amarillo College, Dr. Sarah Goldrick-Rob did, because we were so innovative in the work we were doing. So now we've gotten lots of visibility.
0: Yeah, that that's one of the things I wanted to ask. I, a lot of people... Of course, they know about Amarillo College. They may have attended Amarillo College, but they don't really know the reputation of AC outside Amarillo. What can you tell me about that, especially over the
1: past few years? It's tough to keep up with because, in in Russell and I will look at each other and say, "This is why aren't other people already doing this?" But they're not. But some of some of them are sure. But they're taking examples from us, from our advocacy and resource center that's run by Jordan Herrera and really meeting the needs of the students uh, as they come in and and not having the judgment of well what do you you know what do you need now it's how can we help you mm-hmm. and we we all have challenges so it's okay to ask for help because you'll be giving back years from now and so it's really shifted some of the stories that our students tell us and I'm tearing up right now just talking about it it's so moving, and uh, you know, I, I do poverty trainings elsewhere and, and really try to open people's eyes to what's happening and, and what their opportunities are to change things. Don't just say, oh, we've got this horrible problem, run away. We have these challenges, but if you really care about your students and your community, what can you do? Mm-hmm. And nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something
0: and then uh the, the last thing I wanted to ask you is about the future of Panhandle twenty twenty so it's it's two thousand and nineteen what's going to happen next
1: twenty twenty we in the early days, I always said it would be wonderful if the work we did nobody ever knew we existed, but we changed the lives of people right. and in some cases, that's certainly happened. We've went dormant as a as a formal organization in 2015 uh our umbrella is still under the emerald area foundation but we have formed a new 501c3 called pioneers of the future and our focus is uh, because there's still great work going on that we at least help start through the no limits no excuses work you know some of the Neighbor navigator work that now Elia Moreno is doing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Amarillo College's work, stuff at AISD, stuff at WT. There's there are pockets and uh, you know really deep institutional efforts uh, committed to this work, existing and ongoing. So we're not going to try to take that on again, because that work is continuing, but our focus now moving forward with the pioneers of the future will be to really create a culture of creativity and innovation. Now, I know a lot of people are already in that space, and we're not trying to take that over, and my focus in that world will be more in the job realm, in the business realm, in the how can we look at our problems differently, you know you know if there's a water issue what, how can we be creative and, and address these challenges but for me it will always go back to data So you know what do the data tell us what can we do about them and are we moving the needle?
0: Okay so this Saturday is the biggest event I personally have ever played a role in planning and it directly benefits this podcast. The Hey Amarillo Beer Festival starts at 5 pm this Saturday, August 3rd, out at Starlight Ranch. Tickets are $30, and they get you access to this beer tasting event, which focuses on local breweries from Amarillo, a couple of breweries from Lubbock, and some of your favorite craft beer lines from across the state of Texas. It's a celebration of local beer, and it's out at the best outdoor event venue in the city, Starlight Ranch. And that's not all. You get to do more than taste beer and hang out with fellow craft beer lovers for your 30 bucks. We're closing things out with a concert that night from Amarillo's own Fine and Dandy followed by Fastlane, which is the best Eagles tribute band in the nation. The Hey Amarillo Beer Fest is this Saturday, August 3rd. It's just a few days away. Get tickets at bit.ly slash Amarillo Beer Fest. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Amarillo Beer Fest. If you want to support this podcast, attending on Saturday is the perfect way to do it. I hope to see you there. Okay, I'm back with Annette Carlisle of Panhandle 2020 and the Amarillo College Board of Regents. Annette, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions, and your job as my guest is to answer those questions in whatever degree of detail you want to. So uh, the the first one is specifically for you. I I, I know you spend a lot of time thinking about Amarillo's future. What's going to be our biggest long-term challenge? Like, what are the things you're thinking about now that are going to be a big deal in a decade or so
1: from now? It's visionary thinking and investing in things that have long term impact and thinking long term. Certainly water would be an issue in our region. You know, access to education for all our students, investing in the infrastructure we need, investing in the long term efforts to to create success in our community.
0: Being able to talk about those things now is so key because it's it's real easy to ignore big problems because there i mean there aren't any easy solutions you know and so we think well 20 years from now somebody will figure that out and then then we're surprised because all of a sudden the water dries up or the poverty rate has risen dramatically and so just talking about those things now and starting to think creatively about them is is so crucial to being able to address them or to at,
1: at least being in the right place 20 years from now i agree and not many communities are talking about these issues like we are, certainly not poverty. And I think it is obviously a huge challenge to our community. What's, and
0: I mean, we'll we'll just completely switch gears here, but what's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo?
1: I don't really have one, but it would fall under the category that includes locally owned, uh, healthy food options, and they don't play loud music. Um, What does this area have too much of? Low-wage jobs. And low expectations and chain fast food. And, and those may all three be related to each other. What does this area not
0: have enough of?
1: Opportunity for higher wage jobs and advancement in those jobs and uh, locally owned healthy food.
0: I want to ask about the, the lower wage jobs versus the opportunity for higher wage jobs, because those, I mean, those low wage jobs are always going to be there. You know, in in a service economy where you have restaurant staff, where you have hospital workers, or even like in agriculture, there's a level of work that's going to be at that lower wage. And somebody needs to do that work. So is is it a matter of like lifting up that that level to pay better? Or is it increasing the workforce so that younger people are available to do those jobs and more established family members or somebody can, can take the larger ones. Like how do you fix that whole big system? How do you, how do you even start with it?
1: It's, it's a challenge. It's, it's all of the above and more. Um, And I'll, I'll just give a shout out to La Fiesta restaurants here with the Barra family. They, they really view those entry level jobs for their, for their workers as this is where you're starting but we're going to help you get to the next level okay. and they really focus on education and moving those students you know their most their workers or students into the next level so shout out to organizations and businesses who do things like that just the opportunity for higher wage jobs here it's tough i mean if i have friends if i were looking for a job you know to go work 8 to 5 I'm not sure what would be there for me. Either as a research scientist as an educational poverty expert whatever, you know, I think I could build, you know, in Austin, I could find something. Okay. But here it's really a challenge. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Um the best kept secret in Texas. Really? I love Amarillo. It's you know the weather is wonderful most of the time. It has four seasons. Uh, it's not hot and humid uh, like off the Cap Rock, and it uh, the people are great. It's also small enough community that one person can make a difference.
0: Yeah, which I I mean I think you've seen in a lot of different ways. When was the last time you went to the Big Texan?
1: When we hosted my mother in law's 80th birthday party here and the whole family came in and one evening we went out to the big texas were they all
0: from out of town
1: they were all from out of town we had 19 people visit and we had the best time here and we went to the canyon and we went to you know cadillac ranch we did all the amarillo things and we and it was august and the high was 80 degrees wow perfect then what's your favorite street in amarillo i will say julian boulevard that's an interesting question but I live in Bivens, and so Julian is one of the nice boulevards. It just has a good feel about it.
0: Well, that, I mean, that is a really unique street. I, I think it used to be a landing strip for the Bivens Ranch, and so that's, that's why it's so wide. And what's the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo?
1: I've said it before, the weather, the people, and the ease of getting around once the construction is all done.
0: Yeah, we'll be there soon. Okay, so Annette, that concludes the eight straight section. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's something you would want listeners to know about or to experience?
1: I could come up with something really unique and unusual, but I'm going to stick with who I am: education. Okay, education, educational opportunities, our community—they're um, not limited to you know institutions. Um, I'm taking ukulele online with a friend in Austin. Awesome. And but education to keep learning and Amarillo College is your partner there in for the community in so many ways, whether it's for the you know, adult worker wanting to get retrained, the eighteen year old coming out of one of our high schools in the Thrive program, continuing ed. I also take Aikido at AC. Wow. So uh, lots of just lots of opportunity in in education and you know, it's always fun to learn something new. Okay. Annette Carlisle, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun.
0: And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Annette for the interview and for her leadership in so many different directions across the city. Thanks also to Six Car Pub and Brewery for sponsoring the show and to Angelina Marie for editing the podcast. This particular episode, hopefully you didn't know it, but it brought some big challenges, which were all completely my fault, and she rocked it. Executive producers of Hamarillo are Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Patrick Burns, Daniel Davis, Josh Wood, Neil Mossiman, Wilson Lemieux, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, Corey Burns, and Chris Zelda. Tell your friends about the Beer Fest. Get your tickets at bit.ly slash Amarillo Beer That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Amarillo My name is Jason Boyette